Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would teach us now through your word. We do pray as we've been reminded right now for Curtis that you would give relief from pain and healing, uh, that you would uh, provide for him right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now to the writings of the Apostle John. Uh, John uh, wrote the Gospel of John, as well as four other books that are uh, toward the end of the New Testament. He is, uh, we don't have death dates for most of the Apostles, but it seems that John was the Apostle who lived the longest. Other than Judas, John's brother James was the first of the apostles to, ju- to die, but unlike his brother, John lived quite a long time, and he wrote uh, some of the, probably the latest writings in the New Testament. In the gospel, there is some teaching about the church. We won't get into that today. It does not use the word church. That shows up in the Gospels only in Matthew. But if you read, uh, I think especially of Jesus' teaching beginning at John chapter 13, there is much there about uh, the life of believers in the church as well as their relationship to the world. So the word church is not used there, but clearly that's what the Lord has in mind. Today, it's the other of John's writings that we are thinking about, the three epistles. Uh, The first John is, he he clearly has uh, one definite audience in mind, probably wrote this for a specific church, uh, most likely the church in Ephesus that he was associated with, but uh, he doesn't deal with explicit or particular problems in that church. It's a a message that is entirely relevant for every church. Um, Second and third John are personal letters that he wrote to individual people, but in both cases, uh, especially in third John, but also in second John, he has their uh, place in the church in mind. And then the Revelation is a long letter written to seven churches. And it deals with those churches individually and also presents um, a vision of what will occur in the future, uh, what will come at the end of the church, of the, the age in which we are living. So today I'm going to present just a few of the lessons we find about the church from these books. John doesn't say much about church order, just two points that are especially significant that I'll mention, both in the first chapters of Revelation. Jesus speaks to John about the angels of the seven churches. Uh, And he sends 
messages to each of those angels. He doesn't tell us who or what those angels are. We are used to hearing that word angel uh, to refer to spiritual beings, heavenly messengers that God sends. That is the usual meaning of that term. But the word angel itself uh, is, uh, its actual meaning is just a messenger. So it's usually used for those spiritual messengers. It could also be used for a human messenger. And when we read the opening chapters of Revelation, it's clear that the angels of these churches are humans. Probably John is using this term angel to uh, describe the pastors of those churches. Uh, The pastor is uh, the one who has a message from God for the church. And I think that's what is meant by the angels of those churches. So there is at least that reference to leadership in the church, to just one in each church, which might mean that each of these churches had only one pastor or elder, or at least that if they had multiple elders, that there was one who was clearly uh, in charge of that church. The other uh, brief mention that uh, speaks to uh, organization of the church and what it does is um, in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that reference to the Lord's day uh, is uh, testimony to the fact of Christian worship being on Sunday, um, but of course in this in this instance, uh, John is by himself. He may have been the only Christian on Patmos at the time. Uh, so that's all that John tells us about uh, organization and order of the church. He does have much to say about what the church is and how it lives. If you were to think of the teaching of John, especially in his three epistles, what two words would you pick that characterize John's teaching? There are two words that should come to your mind when you think about the Apostle John. This should be an easy question, and you shouldn't have to look in your Bibles for it. I heard one of them. Love, uh, not knowledge. What What do you know? The truth. There it is. Love and truth. These are the two words that John says much about. So I'll read a few verses that talk about these. Second John, starting at verse one. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have 
received a commandment from the Father. Here we have these two concepts, truth and love, spoken of together. What? Let's, let's think about the first one, about truth. What is truth? Just any definition. What is truth? Mm-hmm. Something that is true. Something that is true. You can't use a word to define itself. That doesn't work. The opposite of a lie. Huh? The opposite of a lie. Well... That's that's not much better. <laughs> the way things really are. That's that's probably pretty good. Word. Okay. So truth uh, has to do with words. Something you should believe. Something you should believe. Yes. You can depend on because it is the way things really are. Yeah. So a truth is, uh, when we think of truth, we think of words, we think of statements, we think of things that are said or told, and they are true when they correspond to reality. They are false, they are lies, when they do not correspond to what really is. In a religious context, we think of truth as being what God has said to us. God's word is true because everything that God says really is so. So when John speaks about all they that have known the truth, it is those who know what God has said. That truth dwells in us Because it is the foundation of our faith. It is the reason for our hope. Truth, the words of God, the words uh, that tell us uh, who he is and who we are and why the world exists. Those words are um, the basis of what we believe and they Determine how we should live. Verse 4 that I finished with, John speaks about children walking in truth. How do you walk in truth? Well, first you have to know the truth. And once you know the truth, if you really know it, you are going to live in keeping with it. If you know that a certain course of action is going to get you into trouble, if you really believe that truth, you are not going to do whatever that action is. So knowledge, belief in truth, does affect our life. In Third John, verse 8, John talks about being fellow helpers to the truth. There are people who go out from the churches, and apparently they are people who are preaching the gospel. John doesn't say exactly what they're doing, but that uh, seems to be what they're doing. And the rest of us should help them because uh, it is uh, the central purpose of the church to witness to that truth. So we know that truth for ourselves, we live according to that truth, and we communicate that truth to others, and we help those who have 
given themselves to communicate that truth. Um, we read about this in 1 John also. 1 John 2, 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you say you have that knowledge of the truth, but your life doesn't match the truth, uh, the commandments that are contained in the true word of God, then something is wrong about your profession. Uh, verse 24 of the same chapter, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. He doesn't use the word truth here, but it's that which ye have heard from the beginning. What did we hear? We heard words, and the words that we heard from the scriptures, from the gospel, are the words of truth. It is that truth that brings us into relationship with Christ and with his Father. So that is how central the truth is to our life as Christians. Um, John talks about uh, the truth that he has previously declared to these people and that he continues to declare to them. Um, At the beginning of chapter 4 of 1 John, he uh, speaks about something that is not true. Uh, what is not true is a lie. And 1 John chapter 4 begins, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There are some who preach a message that is not true. Just the fact that someone tells you something does not mean that it is true. Even that someone who identifies himself as a Christian minister tells you something does not mean it is true. You have to find out whether what he is telling you really is the true, the true word about Jesus Christ as it is spoken of in the scriptures. We are to hear that truth, the word of God. Um, uh, we find this often in the book of Revelation. Jesus says in Revelation 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We find that in each of those messages to the churches and elsewhere in Revelation, there's that emphasis on hearing the word. We need to hear the word and we need to believe it. The end of 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. That understanding points us to the truth. What do we understand? It is the truth that we have heard. Continuing in that verse, That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. How do we come to have eternal life, to have that life with the Father and with the Son? It is through our understanding of the truth that has been communicated to us. 
So truth is a big part of John's teaching about the church and why it exists. The other uh, other aspect is love. We have love for God, 1 John 2:15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There are two loves that are contrasted one to the other, the love of the world and the love of the Father. And you might think, especially if if you were someone who didn't have much knowledge of the Bible's teaching about the world, you might think, well, if God made the world, why is it a problem to love the world? Shouldn't I love the things that God made? Well, we can answer that that response two different ways. One is to say, the world that God made has been broken by sin. So if you love the world, you are loving something that is not as God made it. Another response would be to say that um, if you if your love starts at the creature, at the creature that God made, then you cannot rightly love the one who made it because you have put his creation first. If, however, you start with love for God, then your love for what he made will be in due proportion. Um, It is clear from the context here that what John is talking about is primarily the world as it has been corrupted. But even if we think about the world as God originally made it, you can't start by loving that. We love God. We also love God's people. We love the church. Uh, Verse 9 of the same chapter, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. We have all come to know this truth, and it is something we have in common, so we all love one another because of the life that we have in Christ. In the verses I read from Second John, John speaks about loving in the truth. You can love someone in the truth, and you could love someone some other way. There are many things that are called love, But the love that we as the Lord's people ought to have for God and for one another is love which is built upon the truth of God. Love is not an emotional feeling about people. Love is not liking to be around those people. Love is not feeling comfortable when I'm with those people. Love is not doing nice things for people. 
Love is not uh, deciding to spend time with someone and just have a good time with people. Love is not overlooking people's faults because you care about that person and don't want to offend him. Love may involve uh, all of those at some point, but none of those is love in the truth. Love in the truth starts with your knowledge of the truth. If you love another person in the truth, if your love is based on the truth that is God's word, then your relationship with that person, your thoughts about that person, will be the thoughts that God thinks about that person. Your deeds toward that person, the things you do for that person, will be the things that God does for that person. Your care for that person will be God's care for that person. Because you know what is true. You don't have to base your love on human feelings. You can base it on what you know from Scripture. So you will do good to other people. You will spend time with them. You will care about them. But it's because you believe from the Bible what God says about them and about your relationship to them and about their needs and about how you can sometimes meet their needs as we heard about this morning, the gifts that God has given to the church. Our love does express itself in doing good to other people. Third John 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. This man Gaius, whom John is writing to, has exercised hospitality and uh, probably given financially also to uh, Christian people on their journey. Um, and he also has this love for people in the church as well, uh, in his own church. Uh, that is clear from uh, John's writing. He loves in the truth. He knows the truth. He walks in the truth. And because of that, he has knowledge of how he can serve other people because of the truth. So truth and love are two important parts of the faith and life of a church in John's teaching. There's another concept that we find um, in John, and that is introduced to us in 1 John 2, 13 and 14. Uh, The second half of verse 13, I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And the next verse says the same thing. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. The young men that John is writing to have overcome 
the wicked one, that obviously means Satan. If we move to chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who have the little children overcome? If you look at the previous verses, he's talking about the false prophets, the lying spirits who do not confess Christ. So the Lord's people have overcome Satan. They have overcome false teachers. And they have also overcome the world. Speaking of the world as being the broken world in rebellion against God. 1 John 5 verse 4, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is reflected in the words of Jesus in Revelation. Revelation 2.7 Jesus makes a promise to him that overcometh. And he makes a similar promise in each of those messages to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. It's to him that overcometh. In Revelation 12.10, John hears a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Here is that overcoming Satan again. And I'll read one other verse, uh, Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Why is there this emphasis on overcoming? Or we might say conquering or having victory. Those are synonyms for overcoming. This reminds us that being a Christian isn't easy. It's something that takes work. Not that we work for our salvation, but in our salvation we do work because there are enemies that need to be faced that need to be opposed, and that need to be overcome. It tells us that we must not give up. If we give up in the struggle, then where is our Christian faith? Where is our trust in the Lord? If we let the world and circumstances or the devil's temptations overcome us instead of overcoming them. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus speaks about some of the troubles that his people face and he says, Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Eternal life comes not to those who accept the gospel and then forget about it. 
It comes to those whose faith lays hold on the gospel and then remains strong all the way to the end of their life. Saving faith is faith that endures. It's faith that overcomes all obstacles and all trials and all temptations and keeps the person safe to death and brings him into eternal life. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of his word. It's in Christ. We do not have strength of ourselves to overcome. But since our faith is in him, he gives us that strength. And we are able to overcome. Let me finish with saying something about these messages of Jesus to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. There are five elements to each of those messages. One to each of the seven churches and five elements in those messages. The first is commendation. Jesus tells these people what he is pleased with. Uh, For an example, chapter 2, verse 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. He's telling them he knows something about them and he is pleased with it. Uh, It is uh, their the way they have lived as Christians. It's interesting that he uh, uses the word works twice in that verse. We are not saved by works, but the Lord is concerned about the works that we do. There is also in these messages to the churches an element of rebuke, for not for all of them, but for most of them. In the verse I just read, Christ's knowing their works was a good thing. He knew that their works were good, but listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 1, I know thy works same word, but what kind of works are they? That thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Then the end of the next verse, I have not found thy works perfect before God. There is this rebuke for a life that does not match the truth of the gospel. Um, To each of the churches... Christ also gives, the third element, some exhortation. Chapter 2, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Chapter 3, verse 3, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, reference back to the truth again, and hold fast and repent. I already read chapter 2, verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death. Um, Chapter 2, verse 25, uh, similar language, That which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Or chapter 3, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, and so on. He's exhorting them to find their satisfaction in him. There is commendation for what is good in these churches. There is rebuke for what is evil. There is an exhortation, in some cases to repentance, in some cases to endurance. 
The fourth element that some of these churches received was the threat of judgment. When the Lord says, I will come, or I am coming, we usually think of that in a good sense. He is coming to bring in the end of our salvation, that we will live forever with him. But sometimes I will come is a threat. Chapter 2, verse 5 Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. That image of removing the candlestick uh, probably means that he's saying that he will cause that particular local church to no longer exist, that it would cease to be a church if they did not repent. Chapter 3, verse 3, very similar. If thou, if thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. There's this threat of judgment that is coming for those who do not repent. And then finally, to each of these churches are given promises. And if I might sum up all of those promises, you can read them for yourself, but to summarize all of them, it is that those who overcome will be with the Lord. I'll just read from the last of those, chapter 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Those who overcome, those who are faithful to the end, will be with the Lord. That is Christ's message to the churches. He has left us on earth to do work for him, to be faithful to him, to preach his message to the world, and he promises us that in the end we will be with him forever. So those are some of the lessons that we can receive from the writings of John and in these two chapters, uh, right from the mouth of Jesus himself. There's nothing of John in those two chapters of Revelation. They are the words of Jesus, which brings us back to where we started our study of the church. We started with words of Jesus about the church. And that is uh, the, the end of the things I intended to talk to you about. I don't want to leave this series, however, without answering any final questions or uh, concerns or anything that you're wondering about. So I want you to do some work for me this week. I want you to reflect back on the teaching that I have given since I started this series on the church. It's been a couple of months. I don't remember exactly when we started. And I want you to tell me this week if there's anything I've said that you're not sure about, that you're wondering about, or anything I didn't say about the church that you're wondering about. Perhaps I need to explain again something I've already said. Perhaps there's a passage of scripture you want me to talk about that relates to the church. Maybe you're wondering about the church's relationship to the world or the church's relationship in, in God's plan to other aspects of God's plan, like the nation of Israel that we talked about last week. 
Maybe you're wondering about the organization of a local church. We've talked a little bit about that, but I could say more. Uh, Or perhaps uh, how a Christian's life in the church relates to other aspects of Christian life. Anything that you have questions about or that you would like me to comment about, I want you to ask those questions and I will give time next week to ask questions uh, in our class time, but it would be more efficient for all of us if I could get those questions between now and next week. So uh, just anything that you're wondering about uh, the church or anything that I've said about the church, anything you've read in the scriptures or want an answer to, please give those to me. And to help you think through that this week, I'm going to send you, I'll send it by email to those of you who have email and those of you who need a printed copy, I will get that to you as soon as I have access to a working printer. Um, uh, it's a, a document that's uh, a little more than 11 pages. It goes just on to the 12th page, and that may sound like a lot, but there's empty space on some of those pages, and a lot of it is just a list of Bible references. So I would like for you, if, if at all possible, to take some time this week to read through that document. It shouldn't take you very long at all. Um, And I'm giving it to you for two reasons. One, for your own personal use. You may uh, use it in the future as a reference. You may decide that you want to study this topic for yourself. And I've given many scripture references that will um, point you to the scriptures, not just the ones we talked about, but many others. So you could use that as personal study. But for this week, I want it to be a reminder of the things we've talked about so that you can uh, come up with any questions or things that you think that we ought to talk about before we're done. So whatever feedback I get from you this week, uh, that will determine how I approach next week. And we can take longer than next week. We can take a few weeks to finish up if there's anything left that you're concerned about. I would uh, mention that I believe that most, if not all, of uh, Brendan's sessions are online as well. So even scanning, you can filter by Sunday school and and whatnot on the sermons online. And even looking at titles might uh, prompt your your memory to remember a question or something like that. Yes, I I think the, the outline I'm sending you should touch on every one of the lessons that we've had except, I think, last week. So I don't think that's in there. Uh, parts of it actually are the outline I use for teaching. Other parts of it I wrote after I taught those lessons. So that should be coming to you in the next day or two. And if I don't hear anything from any of you, then I will just finish next week. Uh, I have some other things I can say, but if I do hear from you, we'll take however much time is needed. We want to make sure we have a really solid understanding of what the church is and how uh, we are, uh, we should live within the church as the Lord's people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving uh, the promises that you have given to uh, those who are faithful, and we pray that you would keep us faithful to your word and to you and to one another as we live in your church and as we look for your son's return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.